So there's an interesting story about two evangelists, Billy Graham and Charles Templeton. Both men were gifted speakers and drew crowds in the thousands to their meetings. In fact, Charles Templeton had 91,000 people come out to hear him speak. But in 1948, both men were faced with different philosophical criticisms regarding the Bible. And Billy Graham responded after much prayer and said, I don't know how to answer all the questions that the critics are asking me, but I'm going to choose to allow faith to go beyond my doubts, and I'm simply going to believe. Templeton, faced with these same questions, enrolled at Princeton Theological Seminary and less than a decade later declared himself an agnostic. In 1996, he wrote his memoir called Farewell to God, My Reasons for Rejecting the Christian Faith. Later in his 80s, in an interview about Jesus, Templeton responded and said he was the greatest human being who ever lived. As his voice began to shake and tears filled his eyes, he said, I miss him. I think this story holds significant weight for me as a Christian because it addresses something at our core that I think if we're honest, most of us are really intimidated by, and that's belief. You know, we admire the faith of individuals in overcoming impossible odds and circumstances, but when it comes to our own lives, we're often quick to dismiss belief in something greater than ourselves as just not being realistic. I mean, we feel foolish. How can I give an answer for faith in a God who is invisible from my sight? But yet when you look at the complexity and the beauty of life, it seems that there's nothing but fingerprints of design in every aspect of the world that we live in. So what in essence is forced upon us is a choice, a choice of belief or unbelief. Jesus said in John 14 verse 6 that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In essence, what he's saying here is that no religion is the way, no religion is the truth, nor is it the life, not even the one that you're practicing. What gets you to God is not religion. It's a relationship with Jesus. Religion is helpful only to the extent that it serves this higher purpose. The way, the truth, and the life has never been about Christianity, about right and wrong, following all the rules, or even morality. It's always been and will always be about simply knowing Jesus. I love what Charles Spurgeon once said in that we will never find happiness by looking at our prayers, our doings, or our feelings. It is who Jesus is, not who we are, that gives rest to the soul. Well, good morning and welcome to Portico. My name is Rick, if we've not met before, and I'm a campus pastor out in Milton. And I think I've been brought back here this morning as a disciplinary measure for <laughs> conduct unbecoming to a staff member. Um, most Wednesday mornings when our staff gets together, I tend to brag about how we have pancakes and things like that out in Milton and how by quarter after 12 I'm on my way home and they're still here in the midst of third service. So I believe I've been brought back here as disciplinary measure this morning, but hopefully by next week I'll be able to be back there. But I'm happy to be here with you and worshiping with you. How many men knocked it out of the park last Saturday on Valentine's Day? How many men? You're just going to be bold and say, yeah, I did that. I did that. Okay, how many ladies would agree that the men that just raised their hand that they knocked it out of the park? A any ladies, you would say, yeah, my, my man did okay last Sunday. I'm not going to ask if you want to raise your hands if you feel like you didn't do so well. Um, but, but we know that there might be some people who didn't, who didn't do so well. Valentine's Day is an interesting thing because there are people who feel a lot of pressure that they're being told to express their love for one another on a certain day of the calendar, and they don't feel like they can perform like that just to, to express the depths of, of their love just because the day turned from the 13th 
to the 14th. And last Sunday in our house, all three members of our family were sick. We had colds. We didn't really want to go anywhere. My dad was recovering from surgery, and we'd been going to the hospital back and forth. Here in the Mississauga campus, we were hosting a men's breakfast, and out at the Milton campus, we were getting prepared to host a pancake breakfast the following morning. So I wouldn't say this was our best Valentine's Day that, that we've ever had. I didn't do the best that I could do, but I did create quite a crafty homemade Valentine's card, which I'll show you on the side screens. I made it Finding Nemo themed. Do you remember the Nemo? And on the, first, on the opening, it said, try not to forget, because you remember Dory, she forgot? And then, on the other, when Amanda opened it, it said, I need you mole every year, like Nemo, right? Pretty good, huh? Huh? How's that? <laughs> now, now, before you boo me out of, the, out of the room here this morning, you need to know that in the 20 years that Amanda and I have been together, I have rented horses, we've gone on a course and carriage ride, we've filled the house with balloons, I've booked restaurants, I've made meals, meals. I've pre-ordered roses, I've done all kinds of things when it's worked out, when, when, when the custom of celebrating Valentine's Day on February the 14th has worked out, I think I've gone over and above. This one, not my best performance, but I think it's not bad. But let me tell you the story of our first Valentine's Day. We were married 13 years ago. And 13 years ago, we had just moved with, um, to a little town called Walkerton, Ontario. Anybody know where Walkerton is? The water crisis that happened there? That happened 14 years ago. We moved the year after because we were newly married. We needed cheap housing. So we moved to Walkerton, and it was, it was good. And so I was a youth pastor in Walkerton, and it, Valentine's Day fell on a Friday night. And if you know anything about youth ministry, we know that Friday nights are not our own. Friday nights belong to the students. And so year one, Valentine's Day, I had Amanda baking 200 cupcakes for the youth rally that we were hosting that night, and there was going to be a punk band that was there to play. So I knew that I was starting off on the wrong foot in the doghouse on Valentine's Day as a married guy. So I decided to do something a little different. So I brought the band that was going to be playing on Friday night to... Amanda's school. She was teaching a grade three or four class or something like that. And I showed up in the middle of the day at, at Amanda's school. And see, that was before the time when you had to, like, sign into schools and things like that. They just let any riffraff in. So I showed, I showed up with, with five members of a, of a band on Valentine's Day, and we sang her a song. And can, can I sing you the song that we sang to her on Valentine's Day? Okay. Do you, remember, do you remember the movie The Wedding Singer that was out about 15 years ago? So here's the song that I sang to my wife, Valentine's Day, first year. It goes like this. You never heard it. I want to make you smile whenever you're sad. Carry you around when your arthritis is bad. Oh, all I want to do is grow old with you. I get your medicine. When your belly aches Build you a fire if the furnace breaks So it would be so nice To grow old with you And I'll miss you Kiss you Give you my coat if you are cold I need you Feed you And even 
let you hold the remote control. So let me do the dishes in our kitchen sink. And carry it to bed when you're too tired to think. Oh, all I want to do is grow old with you. I want to grow old with you. So after year one went like that, I figured I could just go with an emo card this year because I didn't have to do anything. <laughs> Valentine's Day is a Carlton card-inspired holiday, right? Sometimes it works to express your relationship and your love on February the 14th, and sometimes it doesn't. And that's okay because it's just a ritual that we participate in when we can, when, when we're able to, to express something deeper. Something that's going on. And in our 13 years of marriage, I've discovered that sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And the ritual isn't the important thing. The day isn't the important thing. It's the relationship that's more important. And as we're in our final week of our revolution series, we've been looking at revolutionary ways to look at aspects of our lives and relationships. And we're going to end off re-examining our relationship with God and how we express our relationship and our love to him. And just like forcing something on February the 14th, if it doesn't work, that can be awkward. Even good practices of Christians trying to express their relationship to God, even the good quality habits that we have, sometimes become burdensome, and sometimes they become ritualistic. And last week we looked at the story of a woman who met Jesus by a well, and she went and she shared her story with her town, and she brought people to faith because of that. Now, we're going to go back into that story this morning, and we're going to see how her specific interactions with Jesus led to her understanding deeper relationships. So we're going to go to John chapter 4, and if you need a Bible, you can just put up your hand, and one of the ushers in, in all of our venues and all of our rooms will come, and you can share uh, a copy of the Bible this morning. So just quickly slip your hand up, and you can have that, or you can turn to uh, your smartphones or your apps, and you can follow us on the U version. Just search for Portico or Mississauga, and you can find our scriptures and our main points there. But we're turning to John chapter 4. If you actually have paper and, like, leather in your hand, that's cool, too. You, you can read the Bible that way still. And you can go to John chapter 4, verses 19 through 26. And here's what it says. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. And the woman replied, woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has now come, when true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers... The Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. And this begins her transformation from worshiping God through ritual to relationship. And Jesus challenges her understanding of what it means to serve God and what it means to worship God. And many of us in the room this morning or listening in understand that there are specific, important practices and rituals that are required 
in order to have a successful faith life. And we'll see in this story how Jesus tries to change our focus. Not that the rituals are bad, but there's something deeper than just going through the customs and the habits of church and faith life. And to become a fully devoted Christ follower requires us developing a relationship. And we're going to characterize that by calling it true devotion this morning. So if you're going to take your notes, you can fill in the first blank or you can fill it in on your apps. It says, true devotion is constantly threatened by religion. Every major religion in the world has customs, something that we would call liturgy, the way that we practice and experience our faith. In the Muslim faith, they stop and they face east multiple times a day and they pray. And they say that's the way that you would honor God. In the Catholic tradition, there's certain ways and certain um, words and certain dress that needs to be present in order for good worship to happen in their tradition. And the evangelical church even has its own liturgy. We know how we would do church. What happens right off the bat when you get to church? What happens? The first thing that happens in a service. Worship. And what kind? Is it fast or is it slow? We have the fast songs first. We get people going and then we move more into the slow songs. And then before the speaker comes to deliver the message, what happens to transition from the music to the speaker? We watch the video. That's right. That's part. We have a little video bumper that talks about the theme of the day. And then we get to the end and we have a response time. We have a prayer time. And we know that it's not just church, but we also need times of prayer, and we need times of personal Bible reading and devotion, and we know that good Christians are involved in CLGs or in midweek programs, and sometimes they even get inspired and they go on missions trips. And we've decided as a church that these are the best practices for people who want to experience a relationship with God. And indeed, they are all good habits. No church has ever established any ritual or any practice without thinking that it was one of the better ways to experience God. We wouldn't do that. But it's a matter of where our focus is. Nothing established by humans is critical to becoming a fully fully devoted follower of Christ. That's the trap that we fall into. We feel that there's a better day or a better time for us to worship. And we think, I need to come to a certain service. Or we think that the way that we structure a service is important. For some people, it's even the seat that they sit in is important for how they worship God. And we've thrown some of you by that. We've just created a whole new booth back there. And some of you used to sit in chairs that were right there. And you're all kind of edgy this morning in the last few weeks because we've just built this booth. And you're thinking, I can't, that's my seat. (laughs) What have you done? Where else am I going to find a place to sit? I, I can't do church like that. The Pharisees of Jesus' day had a bad reputation. But I want you to think about it. The Pharisees were the ones that gave up their lives. They gave up their years of earning wages. They gave up their family. They gave up all kinds of things in order to honor God with everything that they could and and measure out every practice. Everything that they did was to honor God. And Jesus comes at them and says, you're a brood of vipers that are judgmental and don't know who God is. These are people that tried so hard to honor him. Look what he says in Matthew 15, 8. This is in reference to the Pharisees. They say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's how he characterized people so focused on ritual. The lady in our key story, she took her chance to talk with Jesus, the Son of God, as a chance to clarify, what's the best place to go and worship? 
There's disagreement between which mountain is more holy and which one's better. We see that in verse 19 where she's saying, our ancestors talked about this mountain and you Jews talk about Jerusalem. And Jesus goes, no. Secular practice has no bearing on the sacred. How we worship doesn't alter the depth of our true devotion. This church is not a better place to worship than that church. And what you do in your CLGs throughout the week when you open up the Bible and you talk with each other is no more important than what happens here on a Sunday morning. If you stop and you sing loudly in worship with music or you sit quietly somewhere and you just reflect, neither of those are a better form of worship. What we do is inconsequential to the quality of it. Look what Paul wrote in Colossians 2 verse 8. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depend on human tradition and elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And the church, we can fall into traps because we think we can dictate what's the best way to experience God. And the Western evangelical church wouldn't characterize itself as ritualistic. And in some ways we aren't. Maybe we have some more fluidity to the way that we would structure a service. But many of us sitting in this room, you have a checklist for what you think you need to do in order to be a good Christ follower, don't you? You have a checklist to say, if I want to have true devotion, well, I have to go to church. If, if I don't go to church, then I'm not really truly devoted to God. And if I never open up the Bible and read it for myself then I'm not very spiritual because I know that the most spiritual people do it longer and first thing in the morning because they get up and they do it. And that's what it means to honor God. And I need to give money. 10% is kind of like the entry level that I got to get to. Um, And when we sing songs in church, I can tell who the real spiritual people are because they don't even have to look at the side screens. Those worship songs are just implanted on their hearts and they just sing right along with Pastor Dwayne, just slapping his elbow and not worrying about anything. And none of these things make a person a fully devoted Christ follower. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that these practices are bad. In fact, fully devoted Christ followers come to church, read their Bible, give in the offering, and do sing-along in worship songs. But it's not what makes us a Christ follower. Jesus told us, I didn't come to do away with the law and all the things that you have been doing. I'm coming to fulfill the law. He said, when I came, I didn't discount these things. I'm making it with more purpose. He said, don't give up meeting together. Yes, keep tithing. Yes, read your Bible. The trap is, is that we feel if we've showed up to church, if we've read the Bible, if we've done the things we're supposed to do, then we've honored God. Some of you last weekend went out for Valentine's Day. You were not happy with each other, but you went out for Valentine's Day. And you went to the right restaurant, and you even bought the red roses. You know, the ones that are starting to go, they get triple the price, and and they're hard to get on Valentine's Day. But you made sure that you got it, but your heart wasn't there. And there wasn't a real connection. And going through the motions don't make a relationship. And going through the motions don't make a relationship with God. Because true devotion is rooted in relationship. That's our second fill in the blank there. It's true of the couple on Valentine's Day, and it's true of how we connect with our Lord and Savior. Look at what Jesus says to the woman wanting to figure out worship in verses 22 through 24. He says that a time is coming 
and now has come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. Have you ever been in a place where you're working at a job and you know you don't want to work in that job anymore? You're, getting, you're like, you know what? I'm just kind of done. I'm lining up some other things. But I can't really divulge the truth that I'm not going to be here much longer, but I still need to show up at 9 o'clock every day. But you don't care as much about the tasks that you're doing when you're ready to move on, right? You still show up. You want the paycheck. You, the employee that has his whole heart and soul in it shows up at 9 o'clock as well. And you do. But this employee gives a little more, cares a little bit more, is invested more because their heart is in it, because their soul is in it. People can show up to this building, sing the right songs, but, the, but Jesus says, if you don't have the true spirit or commitment that I require, then it's not worship. It's not God-honoring. Truly devoted followers develop a relationship that's so real and honest that it sustains regardless of where we go to church, when we go to church, when we read the Bible, how we read the Bible, what programs we're a part of, because it's deep in connection with our Lord and Savior. Here's how Paul described it in Colossians 2. He said, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. It's not about giving an appearance of spirituality. It's about caring so deeply with God that we grow rooted down into the ground about who he is and who we are in him. I love that word picture of our roots going so down that we couldn't be shaken. That, that, we're, that we're so firm because it's not about a bunch of practices. It's about knowing God and him knowing us. You could stop coming to church at any given moment, because you don't like the shirt that I'm wearing. You don't like the way that I speak. You're like, the guy got up with a guitar. I thought I was here for a, a message. <laughs> you could stop your Bible reading program. You're like, I don't want to read the Bible this week. But you can't give up on a relationship. You can't give up when the Spirit of God is inside you and you know Him so well that, that, that it sustains you. You can't give up on that because you're rooted deeply down. Look at what Paul wrote further in Ephesians 3 and 17. He said, Then Christ will make His home in your hearts as you trust in Him, and your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. That's true devotion. So let's get practical this morning. This has been theoretical. How do we do this? How do we live this out? We use the word devotions sometimes as the time that we spend reading our Bible and, and hearing from God or just reading through a Bible reading program. And it's one of the customs that we have as the church. It's one of the practices that we say is a good thing to be doing. But devotions can be a ritualistic part of our faith or they can be a life-giving part of our relationship with Jesus. When you open up your Bible, what thoughts go through your head? When you're home by yourself and you open it up, what do you think? Some of you think, I hope it's finally interesting this time. You're just being honest, right? You open up the Bible, you're like, man, I hope it's going to be interesting to me. Maybe some of you have got past the interesting point, but you're like, this stuff is so hard to understand. I just, I just hope I get something out of this today. I hope I can figure out what it's actually trying to say. Some of you who have been reading the Life Journal with us and you're doing it on your app, you open up your app and you think, 
okay, I got 10 minutes. I got to make sure I get three or four green check marks so it looks like I've finished my Bible reading program and I'm at 100%. And yeah, some of you are like that this morning. We all have different thoughts that go through our heads when we get to read the Bible. How would we move from those kinds of thoughts to going, I can't wait to see what God says to me when I open up my Bible. Wouldn't you love to have that thought where you would be excited to spend time hearing from God and it wouldn't be a chore and it wouldn't be just a ritual. It would be, God's going to speak to me and I'm so pumped to see what he's going to have for me today because it's going to be life-giving because it's something that's fluid. I'm hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God is desperately interested in relationship with his creation. And he wants to spend time with us. And that's how we get there. You, you can go and this week just write down Genesis 18. And you can see how Abraham had this kind of relationship with God. And he had this conversation ongoing so much that God was willing to change his mind on Sodom and Gomorrah based on the back and forth between Abraham and God. In Exodus 33, you can read about how Moses spoke with God the same way that a man would speak with a friend. And when we understand that what God wants out of our devotional times is relationship and back and forth, it absolutely revolutionizes the way that you will approach reading the Bible. It changes from a program that's a religious duty into a dynamic relationship with the Holy Spirit. So much so that I can read one verse and you can read one verse and we'll hear completely different things because the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. If you're, if you're involved in apprenticing someone and mentoring someone along in, in the volunteer work that you do here as a part of the church and you're thinking, how do, I, how do I build that kind of relationship with my mentor? Just do the Life Journal together and see what the Holy Spirit is saying to two different people. It's an unbelievable practice. You can do it in your CLGs as well. The Holy Spirit will speak different things out of the same verse. It's so dynamic that this morning or this evening when you go to read on your, what your February 22nd passage is, you might hear something completely different this year than you did last year. And next year will be a completely different thing than what you heard this year because the Holy Spirit's alive and he wants to speak to you. And it, it's an exciting thing when we understand that it's based on relationships. That's the power of true devotion submitted in spirit and truth. Because finally... True devotion cultivates deeper intimacy with God. And if you're a Christ follower in the room, somebody that's confessed that you believe in Jesus as God's son, and if you've lived all your church life and discovered that there are times when your personal times of prayer or personal times of reading the Bible is kind of empty, it's kind of habitual, there's more. And it all depends on us understanding that it's just rooted in a relationship. Next year when Valentine's Day comes along, don't look at it as, oh man, here's something that I have to do. Look at it as, here's a chance for me to express how much I love my partner. I love my boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever it is. When you open up the Bible tonight, don't look at it as, here's a habit that I have to do. Look at it. Here's a chance to encounter the presence of God. Here's a chance for the Holy Spirit to speak something new and life-giving to me. Don't stress over reading a program. Enter into relationship. In our key story in verses 25 and 26, the woman discovered that Jesus was right there in front of her. She had missed it, but he was right there in front of her. And every time you participate in what one of our normal practices are, 
whether it's coming to church, whether it's reading your Bible at home on a Tuesday morning, that's a chance for you to hear the voice of Jesus saying, it's me right here. I want to talk to you. I want to have relationship with you. You're not doing it because you should. You're doing it because Jesus is there. And it's an opportunity to build that relationship deeper. That's the desire of our life journal times, of our personal devotional times. We've been on this life journal pathway probably for about five years as a church. And we said, just read through. It's a, if you don't know what the life journal is, very briefly, it is a, a, a program that we use. You can find it on our app. You can find it on our website. You can uh, follow along. There's a bookmark that we hand out on the last. So I think you'll have it in your bulletins this Sunday for um, the Bible reading passages for March. And it brings you through an entire reading of the Bible in one year. And we say, don't only read the Bible, but uh, pick one scripture that speaks to you. That's the S. And write it out. And then write some observations on that scripture. Just some things that you noticed about that one or two verses there that you read over the last few moments. And then write an application. How does that apply to your life? And let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you about that. And then write out a prayer. And it's something you can be praying throughout the day or praying for the next day. And it's a way that the, our Bible reading times can be not habitual but relational. And we've been doing this for about five years. And last year, my wife Amanda, I'm just going to throw her right under the bus here because I can do that because I got the mic. And, and she comes to me and she says, okay, we've been doing this four years now is it okay if I read the Bible a different way? Like, I've read through the Bible for an entire time for the last four years. Is it okay if I read a devotional that has, like, something else in it as well, that has, like, an inspirational thought? I said, I don't know. I'm going to have to talk to Pastor Doug about that one. <laughs> so I did. I went in and I talked to Pastor Doug. About, so he sent her a very encouraging email that just said, My dearest daughter in the faith, I've heard that you have lost your way in the Life Journal reading program. <laughs> And Laura and I will be praying for your soul that someday you'll, you'll find your way back onto that, onto that pathway. Here's the absolution for us as a church this morning. You don't have to read all three or four chapters. You don't even have to read the Bible, the Life Journal program. It's okay. It's not about a ritual. We've discovered that this is one ritual, one practice that can lead to deep, intimate relationship with God, but so can another Bible reading program. We don't care how it looks. We care that you're connected with the Holy Spirit. We care that you're excited about reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit is speaking into you on a regular, daily basis. And if all you want to do is read three or four verses and the Holy Spirit speaks to you and then you stop, that's awesome. That's okay. And if you're a type A person that needs to see the green check marks beside when you finish reading, go for it. We don't care the way that it looks. The ritual isn't the important thing. The relationship underneath the ritual is the important thing. And that's what transforms transforms their lives into an intimate relationship with our Savior. Yeah, sure, we can get excited. <laughs> and if you want to finish the Bible in one year, go for it. It's not about the format. It's about truly devoted followers building intimacy with a Savior. So let's do some self-examination this morning in the room. What are your devotional habits right now? Is it something that you feel guilty about? Is it a duty that you feel like you have to fulfill? Or is it an exciting opportunity for you to experience the presence of God? Yes, it needs to be a regular rhythm in your life where you find regular time to do it. But there's no guilt. In the study by, um, that we looked at back in the fall of Canadian Bible reading habits, we found that 
one in seven Canadians will read the Bible during a given week. And that's only maybe one time. One in seven. It's because it's a habit. It's because it's a ritual. And the ritual is not important. If we want to see those numbers transform, we have to do a mind shift. We have to reframe the way we look at our devotional times. We have to revolutionize it and say, this is my chance to experience relationship with Jesus. I want to read for you a verse out of Ephesians 1, 17 and 19. And here's what Paul said. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. And I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That is our prayer every time you open the Bible, that the eyes of your heart would be open and that you would experience his presence. And that's what we're challenging you with to go forward from this morning. It's a gift of serving a life-giving Savior and the Holy Spirit resident within us. And I don't know if this is your first time here or if you've been here longer than I have. We're going to sing a song, and it's a very simple song. But here's what I encourage you to do. Don't make it a ritual. Don't just do it because you should. Do it because there's a God that wants to connect with your heart and your spirit, and he wants you to worship him with everything, your truth, your spirit. Commit this morning to go forward and say, it's okay if I miss a Tuesday of Bible reading. It's okay. It's not about a routine. It's about walking hand in hand, moment by moment, in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So be encouraged wherever you are on your journey with God. If this is a first experience for you, we've got a table set over there and it just says yes. And there's, there'll be somebody there that would love to speak with you about this and find out what it means to have a dynamic relationship with God. And if you, like I said, if you've been serving God for a number of years, be encouraged this morning that there's relationship in the midst of ritual. There's spirit there for you. So have your Bible reading times revolutionized this week as we go.